I believe I speak on behalf of Jonathan when I say thank you for the gift to the Chrysalis Spa. It so happens I'm due for a pedicure. So <laughs> this is working out splendidly. No, I'm, I'm not. Uh, but we will enjoy that time together with our wives. I am confident of that. The love received, hopefully, is reflected back to you. We love you just as you love us. And we're thankful for you. Um, well, we get our message this morning from a bit of a different perspective, a different location, and that is from inside of a fishbowl. The Oscar fish is among the most popular of aquarium fish. Perhaps you've owned one or seen one. They're beautiful reds and yellows and oranges. In fact, they've been dubbed the uh, little chunky torpedo to give you an image in your mind of what these fish look like. But like the rest of us, these fish have their own response to worry or anxiety. When gripped by anxiety, these fish will lay sideways in the water and stop moving and lose color. Now, you're familiar probably with similar responses elsewhere in the animal kingdom. Goats, for example, tend to stand straight up. Their muscles seize, and sometimes they even keel over. Most popular is the opossum, right? They play dead. They really get into the roll. They open their mouth, hang out their tongue, and emit an odor. Well, you and I know our own responses to anxiety and the anxieties and worries that we face probably almost daily. There's this stress even doom or panic. There's that vice grip on our minds when anxiety takes hold. And come to think of it, the animal kingdom doesn't have it half bad. I mean, there's something attractive about floating unconscious until the anxiety passes. Solomon writes what we all feel. He says anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. How true that is. So what do we do when we're worried? The Bible has much to say about our mental health, and that includes anxiety. The word itself, anxiety or worry, we'll use them interchangeably. It has quite a spectrum of meaning in the Bible. On one hand, it speaks of a loving care. Paul will write to Timothy, and he'll write of of a, a worry, but it's in a very positive way. In Philippians 2.20, he writes of Timothy, I have no one else of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare. That would be a positive feeling of, of, of worry on one end. But on the other hand, we know that it can be quite a roadblock as well. Jesus speaks of how it becomes a roadblock to fruitfulness in the Christian life. In the parable of the soils, he speaks of one seed that was sown among thorns. It's a man who hears the word and the worry, same word, the worry of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And it's to this more negative sense that we speak here this morning. This feeling that we've all experienced, as Solomon says, it's that that anxiety that weighs us down. It's a feeling of apprehension or distress in view of of some possible danger or misfortune. We can see darkness and clouds on the horizon. We can feel them. Expressed in some languages, the equivalent is to be pained by thinking. Well, this morning, believer, 
you have a wonderful counselor for your anxiety. His door is open. His calendar is cleared. And in him, you can learn to manage your anxiety. Jesus Christ can even free you from it. He can free you from the outcome of events, these things that we worry over. He can free us from the expectation of other people. And even the circumstances that we can't control, he can free us from that worry as well. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, the Lord counsels our anxiety. And we are working through this letter nearing the end of 1 Peter. And Peter concludes writing about worry. And his audience, those recipients of this letter, they had a great deal to worry about. He wrote to those in a far-reaching corner of the Roman Empire. These were people who were converts from paganism and all different forms of different religion. It would have been where people have come to faith with pagan religion in their background and then Roman Empire on their other side. That means these early Christians were either feeling the heat of some organized political pressure, if that has happened so far, or else they were toiling under independent fire. After all, the local populace didn't need to be told to persecute Christians. It came a about quite naturally, perhaps they felt both. These new Christians had to figure out their public witness. What does it look like to be a Christian in public? What does it look like to throw off these long-held religious views of our families? How do I function in this new life? Peter's addressed husbands and wives and slaves and masters and so on. That's to say nothing of the roaring lion we will encounter next Sunday. Well, to them, Peter writes quite concisely, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you are anxious, Peter begins humble yourself before God? He does indeed, and it is our first point this morning, humble yourself before God. The solution to anxiety begins with humility. Now, verse 6 is going to connect back with verse 5. In the second half of verse 5, Peter quotes a proverb. In some of your Bibles, you may see this text stand out a little different. My version likes to put it in, in all caps, so it's clear that it's an Old Testament quotation or illusion. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 8. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in that proverb, you hear a contrast. It's the contrast between what is bad or unrighteous, the proud, and what is good or, or righteous. That would be the humble. And the author here, in this one proverbial line, he sets two different items against one another. And I don't believe here that Peter is as focused on, on the bad. I don't think his emphasis is on the proud. In other words, I think in the context here, he's not trying to, to hammer out of that congregation some boastful, proud arrogance. I don't think that's what's happening here. Now, there are places in the Bible where they will utilize that. James 4, 6, he uses the same proverb to try to root out pride in the congregation. So his emphasis is on the first part of that verse. I think Peter's on the second part. 
I think what Peter wants to do here is to comfort his congregation. I believe he wants to assure them that that God is a God of grace. And I think that his use of the proverb, as the context shows, it, it tilts more towards that second half of it, the contrast. And he focuses now on humility. If you look back at verse 5, this has been the command to everyone in the church, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Way back in chapter 3, verse 8, we learn that it's a humility that endures ill treatment. Now it, it appears in the context of anxiety. And I don't know about you, but if I'm struggling with anxiety, I don't need someone to come along and tell me to humble yourself, Michael. Anxiety... It already has me low, doesn't it? Doesn't it already push us down in, a, in maybe a different sense, but we're feeling it. So at first pass, I really don't understand how this helps me. And more than that, I might even say that Peter lacks really many of the credentials we need to be my counselor. He's a fisherman, right? He's not a certified psychologist. Who is this guy writing stuff like this? And worse yet, if Jesus took his counsel, he probably wouldn't have gone to the cross. But as we begin to understand biblically what anxiety is, humility as the starting place, I believe it begins to make sense. Anxiety is a spiritual issue. Anxiety fixates on someone or or something other than the Lord or the truthfulness of his promises. Anxiety has a habit of pushing of pushing God out. Anxiety and trust in God, these two are not allies. They are not friends. Anxiety is a control issue. Anxiety gives me the illusion of control. Ed Welch, in his book entitled Running Scared, writes, quote, if I imagine the worst, I will be more prepared for it. You ever feel that way? I think that's true. I think somehow there's something within us that if I worry about it and I get anxious over it, I'll be more prepared for it if it comes. Well, most of the time, those events don't actually come true. And then the few instances that they do, we have all the more justification next time to worry again. Because after all, I worried about it and it happened. Anxiety becomes a control issue in another way as well. It leads to demigods or to inferior gods or to little gods. It's where the worrier feels like he or she, you or I, must solve the problem. We must rely on our own resources to figure this thing out. And worry then very easily can become pride. We know that there is only one who is all-powerful, who is all-present, who is all-knowing. And because God is in complete control, because God has already been fully informed of the outcome because God is already present in our worries, Peter says to us, humble yourself. Not because you're being some proud or boastful braggart, not on the first part of that proverb, but rather because we get too caught up in those worries. Our anxieties will will want to push God away and sit in his throne in our hearts. Our anxieties will want to consume our minds with all of the the what-ifs and not with the Lord. And our anxieties will entice our pride to take charge. Pride is that 
slippery serpent. Humility and anxiety, it produces three effects then. If we heed this call, it places us first where we should be. It's under God's mighty hand, verse 6. That's the location. It's, it's under the mighty hand of God. Believer, that is not a scary place to be. Not for you and I. That is a place of sanctuary. That is a place of deliverance. By no coincidence, I think Peter chose this language, how he spoke of God right here. This is Exodus language. Thinking back to that event, the Exodus event, early in the Bible. In Deuteronomy, three different times, Moses speaks of the Lord bringing you out by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You are Exodus people, just as Peter's audience was. Both we and they are are foreigners or we're, we're pilgrims. We're not really at home in this world. We've used the word alien in this series. And living as aliens, it can produce anxiety. And the Exodus event reminds us of how God delivers. I mean, who among that group of Israelites thought God was going to do that? Who saw that coming? I bet they all said, oh, sure, God can deliver us. We've got a good doctrine, but boy, did he deliver them. Boy, did he show up in the moment of anxiety. It's just like when the Lord comes to meet us in these fields of anxiety, under the weight that enslavement brings. (laughs) Day in and day out, those Israelites were slopping together these bricks out of the mud. That's a complete exercise in futility if they're in their shoes. Nothing comes of this. We see no return. It's the same thing tomorrow. Nothing good comes. That's exactly like anxiety. Our Lord has reached down, he heard their cry, and he delivered them. And by the way, God doesn't have a mighty hand or an outstretched arm in terms of a physical body. The Bible says Jesus taught God is spirit. But the Bible does assign these human characteristics to this divine being. God is a divine being who's incomprehensible. And we do have these words, this language in our world, so we can understand him in a sense. So that's just a little clarification here on on this notion of arms and hands and eyes and so forth pertaining to God. But it serves its purpose, doesn't it? The mighty hand of God, it, it, it reminds us of his sovereignty and his power and his care. So humility and anxiety, it brings us under his mighty hand. Well, secondly, God will exalt us when we humble ourselves. This is verse 6 again. Anxiety beats us down. Well, God comes alongside as a, a father does a child, and he lifts us up. He undoes the effects of anxiety. Notice there's a divine timetable here as well. Peter writes that God does this at the proper time. In other words, God knows best when to lift us up when to help us up out of this pit. And thirdly, God gives us grace. This is Proverbs 3 again. It's at the very end of verse 5. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. No one deserves grace. It's God's unmerited favorites freely given as a gift, and he gives it as he wills. 
And we learn from the Bible who receives grace. In other words, if God is scanning this world, seeking to give grace, who would be those that receive it? Well, first, it's the repentant. We know that gospel grace is given to all who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. The Bible teaches us that. But we learned this morning as well that that God gives grace to the humble. As the dispenser of grace, God shares that he seeks to give that grace to those who humble themselves. So when anxious, our first step is humility. The Bible begins with humility. It doesn't begin this morning with with positive thoughts. They're important. In other words, if someone says, if you just think positive thoughts when you're worried, everything will be okay. The Bible doesn't start there. The Bible doesn't begin with popular slogans. What do we hear? Oh, you're just a worrier. Like your mom and the mom before her. Well, that may be true, but we're not going to excuse it. Anxiety begins with a dependence, with a humble surrender to God. That's where Peter begins. And let me add this, because I think that this goes even further. I wonder if Peter isn't calling us to accept our circumstances too. Because there's something humbling in that. Something is happening in our lives or in the world around us that that's causing that anxiety. And I'm not saying that Peter's calling you and I to rejoice over this trial or suffering that we're in, whatever's producing the anxiety. But I wonder if he's not calling us to accept it. I mean, think about his audience. They are being spat on. They're persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe they're no longer welcome at mom and dad's since they left the family religion that's been passed down from generation to generation. That maybe for you and I, when we hear the doctor's diagnosis, that maybe for you and I, when the child who knows the Bible and knows the gospel but seems to know little of Christ right now, that for you and I, when we ask God over and over to remove this thorn, but he does not, maybe for us, it's a complete humility and a dependence that says, Lord, I trust you. Lord, this is my circumstance right now. And I need you. I humble myself before you. I accept where we are. I just want to encourage you then, if if that's the step that we're taking, if God's calling us to that, if we're on to something here, this is not some blind hope. You're not confessing some wishful thought as though your fingers are crossed and all is going to work out in God. You're not hunkering down, waiting for time to pass. No, not at all. Not with the God who's redeemed you. Not with the God who has a mighty hand. No, you are casting your anxiety on God. Our second point this morning derives simply lifted out of the text. Cast your anxiety on God. Give it to God. To cast is to throw. The words used quite interestingly in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. They threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. You know the scene. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's near the end of his earthly ministry. And they procure a colt for Jesus to ride while they throw their coats on the back of this colt. That's a great picture of what you and I ought to do with our anxieties. We we pick them up and we throw them on the Lord. We leave them there. We don't bring them back. We don't pick them up off and take them back. We don't put them on our own back. 
We throw them on Jesus. In verse 7, that word casting, it functions like a command, but it's not. It's a participle and it depends on a verb. And here's what I mean by that. If you look at verse 6, the command in our verse today is humble yourself. That's the command. That's, that's the, the engine driving this car. Casting is how we do it. It's like saying, Peter, I heard you tell me to humble myself before God. How do I do it? He says, casting your anxiety. Some verses, some of your Bibles, are going to place a period at the end of verse 6 and start a new sentence in verse 7. That's not the best translation. Because what it does is it separates the command to humble from the activity of casting. It makes it sound like there's two different commands, but there's only one. And the point of the text is to reveal to you and I the means to humble ourselves. It's by casting. It's by giving up our control. We discussed that a moment ago. In these trenches of anxiety, you and I are going to run into problems with, with pride and self-dependence. But Peter says, no, humble yourself by casting those anxieties on the Lord. Let's go over to Philippians chapter 4, if you will. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 4. In chapter 4 of Philippians, early on you're going to encounter two women, and their names are Euodia and Suntuki. And these two women were in conflict with one another. Something happened in that church in Philippi. We don't exactly know what happened, but we do know that a man named Clement was instructed to help these women. And we all know that even though they had a struggle with each other, they both remained companions of Paul. That didn't change anything. And even though they had a struggle, both of their names were written in the book of life. And we know that when anxiety happens, joy departs. When anxiety takes center stage, it often feels like Jesus has left the building. It's hard to find joy. Peter begins by saying, excuse me, Paul does, by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then comes the command. This is verse 6. Philippians 4, verse 6. We're moving into the heart of a very popular passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you are anxious, pray. Prayer is Paul's prescription for worry. So much so that four different Greek words are used in verse 6 just to communicate prayer. That's the level of emphasis he wants to place on this. The word prayer, to begin, is just a general word for prayer to God. It's an all-encompassing word. Supplication has to do with a request. It's a request for a need. Thanksgiving is a prayer of gratitude. Don't overlook that. What's that prayer doing in the middle of my anxious praying? This prayer of gratitude. Paul is calling for even the anxious to thank God. We'll come back to that later. I think there's something to that. That even as we are anxious and we're praying to God about it, we are also thanking him. And then lastly, he uses the word requests. That's a second word for asking God for something. And we should note that now two times in four different words, Paul's told us to bring our requests, these anxieties, to God. Well, what should we expect if we do this? Verse 7. 
the peace of God. Isn't that a welcome substitute for anxiety? Notice how comprehensive that peace is. It guards the heart. It guards the mind. It's another way of saying all of you. And Paul's trying to communicate here just how pervasive God's peace is when he gives it to his children. He says it guards. That's a wonderful picture of, of, a, of a platoon of soldiers who are defending or, or protecting. They're keeping a watch. And this is God's response to anxious prayer. But we have two more instructions that are worth looking at. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. This is continuing a discussion on anxiety. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on such things. In other words, it's time to think different thoughts. No longer ruminating on whatever it is that's causing the anxiety. No longer turning over all those scenarios in our minds as worry likes to do. Now listen, anxiety is going to come to us and it's going to lie to us. Anxiety is not a faithful friend for you and I. If anxiety were a human being, you and I would not take his advice. If anxiety were a human being, we would not seek out his counsel. If we got in a jam, we wouldn't pick up the phone and call him. Anxiety is not the type of guy you want taking the stand in a court of law. Anxiety wants to blow things out of proportion, doesn't he? Anxiety wants to be very persistent in his pessimism. He is not an encourager, not by any stretch. And rather than allowing this anxiety to direct our thoughts, we're going to take charge. We'll think our own thoughts. They're going to be good thoughts and holy thoughts and godly thoughts. What you think will either feed that anxiety or starve it. Don't miss verse 9 either. Paul's not done. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul understood anxiety. If you're familiar with his ministry in the New Testament, you could imagine how he might be. And he wants the Philippians to know that they are not alone in what they're experiencing. In fact, when Paul was with them, he spent time with this church in Philippi. They saw the anxiety that Paul struggled with. It's as though Paul is saying to them, you saw my anxiety when I was with you. It could have been his arrest. He was arrested while he was there. He was beaten. He was in jail. He was booted out of town. In other words, there's a lot to learn from others who've navigated this road. The Philippians were to look to Paul to see how he navigated it. You and I can look to one another. How do we navigate our anxiety? I'd say most of all, Paul's trying to communicate to us prayer. Pray. Prayer is our casting, to bar from Peter, and our casting is our humbling. We cast all our anxiety on God through prayer. Don't be tempted to underestimate this. We may be tempted in the moment to look for the newest technique or to discover the latest proven method. Go to God with your anxiety. That's going to be the pinnacle of solutions for the Christian. We might even need to wrestle in prayer. We might need to struggle in prayer. And you might even observe that in the Christian life, 
There are times where your anxiety is with God. Because there are times when God does not answer prayer the way we thought he would. And there are times in prayer when God doesn't change this or or move that, and it induces anxiety. There are times when we try to understand the person of God, and it breeds anxiety. Listen, even in those moments, even if your worry is with God, take that to God in prayer. What did Peter say about this God? Back in chapter 3, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. You and I can take all of our anxiety before the Lord. He is watching and he is listening. We can cast it on him. Finally, we can rest in the care of God. This is the last portion of this passage in 1 Peter. We can rest in the care of God. The reason God calls you to cast that anxiety on him is because he cares for you. If you want to go with me, I'm going to be over Matthew 6 for a bit. And I assume that as Peter writes these verses, I I imagine he probably heard this message preached. Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. As a disciple or an apostle, a follower of Jesus, Peter would have went with Jesus where he went and heard what Jesus preached. I wonder if what Jesus is about to say may well have influenced Peter. That God cares for you. Verse 25, Jesus says, This reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Let's just stop there for a moment. Notice that that is right away. That's a command. And there's three times that Jesus will command you and I not to worry in this sermon. Verse 25, verse 31. One more time in verse 34. He keeps coming back to this saying, listen, don't worry. Don't be anxious. I think Jesus knows how unfruitful that is for you and I. He knows that it's harmful for us. This is not his plan for us. He doesn't want this for us. In verse 25, he goes on, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? I mean, these are all needs, food, drink, clothing. By and far, you and I, here we stand in 2023 in the West, we're pretty well met in terms of these needs. What we have, we, what we need, we have. But yet we can still find ways to worry about them. Maybe we worry about our diet. Am I eating the right foods? Or what about the cost of food? Maybe it's about fashion or clothing. Am I in fashion? People have a lot of anxieties about their body or their body image. Jesus says to us, he says, look up. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Every morning, the bird wakes up to an empty pantry. A bird never runs out of food in the fridge because a bird never had a fridge with food. They never stock up on savings. Their grocery bill is never touched by inflation. They just wake up, go looking for food, and God provides. 
Jesus makes an argument from the lesser to the greater. And what he says is that if God cares for something as small as birds, how much more does he care for you? Verse 27, who among you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? That's a great question, isn't it, about the sheer productivity of brain power? Why am I spending so much time on worry when nothing comes of it? One Greek philosopher said, we're not so much worried about real problems as we are imagined anxieties about real problems. Jesus says in verse 28, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Look at verse 28. Jesus begins that verse by saying, observe. That word means to think about with the purpose of ultimately understanding whatever you're observing. Look back again at verse 26. How does he begin that verse? He says, look. It's a different Greek word, but there's some punch behind that too. It's to look at something very directly and very intently. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's slowing us down. Because what does anxiety do? It speeds us up. It gets things racing. It gets things churning. This is like the roundup at the carnival. Have you ever been on that demonic ride? (laughs) It's this big round thing, and you stand with your back against the wall, and then it starts real slow, but then it goes faster and faster so that the force actually pins you against the wall. This is what worry and anxiety does to us. It spins us up, it works us around, it might even make us sick. We need to slow down with our anxiety. In a word, we just need to tell our soul, relax. Cast your anxiety on Christ. Jesus wants us to look around and to see this big picture around us in the world, not focused and fixated on the anxiety or the worry, but to look around and see what God is doing, how God is providing, and how God is in control. God cares for all of this, his creation. He cares for you. Well, in conclusion then, just a few practical steps. Since we know that we can't play dead in the road or float in an aquarium, what do we do when we're anxious? Well, it's important that we know Jesus Christ first and foremost. That's been the underlying assumption throughout our message this morning. And Jesus says to you, come to me. If you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a message for your soul or your spirit this morning. If you see your sin, if you feel the weight of it, if you know that something is wrong between you and God, and Jesus says, come to me with that. Jesus is willing to forgive you of your sin and to give you new life. He paid the price for your sin, what you owed to God. And now we can receive his power, not only for eternal life, but in times of anxiety, he is our wonderful counselor. Well, secondly, we learned really at the beginning that we are to humble our hearts. 
Again, it seemed like a bit of an unusual place to begin on this topic of anxiety, but as we thought through it, it makes sense or begins to make sense. And we went as far as to say this could be acknowledging even God's rule over our lives and rule over the circumstances that cause anxiety. We're saying maybe I'm even accepting what this lot that God's given. I'm acknowledging his lordship. I'd say a big neon sign on today's passage when it comes to anxiety also was pray. That's what Paul was trying to press home in Philippians chapter 4. Not only requests, again, there'll be a lot to ask for when we're anxious, but also we encounter thanksgiving, prayers of thanksgiving or prayers of gratitude. And I think that that does something for us. God knows this. Gratitude does something to our hearts. Uh, When when we're anxious, we probably become more more pessimist. Gratitude's going to force us to, to unlock from that and to look around. What can I be grateful for? What is God doing in my life? How healthy would that be for our souls? I think that's an important part of what Paul was preaching there to the Philippians. Bring those requests. I'll say it twice. Bring your requests. Bring your requests. But do it with gratitude, Paul would say. Well, we learned as well in Philippians 4 that we ought to think new thoughts. When we are anxious, we are probably not dwelling on what is true, noble, right, and pure, lovely, and admirable. And that's a problem. But we need to think new thoughts when we're anxious. Godly, holy thoughts. Thoughts that have less to do with our situation and thoughts more that have to do with Christ and what he's going to do. And you remember here, too, that he had to slow down to to look around at pictures of God's care in the world around us. Reminders that God cares for us in the same way. And lastly, in Philippians 4, 9, Paul taught us to look to others. Other believers who have been through anxious times. Fellow believers who've learned how to navigate through it. God's people are a resource for God's people. Well, most of all then, so too is God's Son, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 describes him as our our great high priest. He's our mediator. He, He goes between us and God. He's fully God. He's fully man. He fully understands anxiety, and he fully knows victory too. Let's draw near with confidence to this throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our invitation to God today, anytime, and in anxiety. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world of worries. We can scarcely step out of bed in the morning or sit down to eat and not be confronted by a thought or a memory or a picture. We are tested to grow anxious and to worry quite often through our day. And we need your help, Father. We need your help to know how to apply words like today to each of our own varied and unique anxieties. Show your people how to humble themselves and what this means in moments of worry. Help your people to to cast their anxieties on you. And please, Father, let them know that you care for them and you love them. Thank you for this wonderful word, this great practical word from our brother Peter. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.